song to know that we're loved amen it's a wonderful thing to be loved by the lord amen well george the farmer (laughs) he had so many children that he ran out of names and so he started calling his kids after some of the some things around his farm you know well it was the first day of school and the teacher started asking all the children their names. And when he got to one of the a farmer, George's sons, the boy, he, he said, son, what's your name? And the boy said, Wagon Wheel. <laughs> Teacher said, I need your real name, son. To which he said, it's Wagon Wheel, sir, really? The teacher, he was getting rather annoyed. He said, all right, young man, take yourself right down to the principal's office this minute. The youngster pulled himself out of his chair. He turned to his sister and said, Come on, chicken feed. He ain't going to believe you either. (laughs) All right, if you don't mind, if you, now listen, I'm going to tell a really mean, 
Some of the singles said that it's a good one, but it's really mean. One of the singles told me that, you know, she really liked the joke. It's just that it's hard on mother-in-laws. But, but, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <clears throat> Sid was traveling down a country road in his native Yorkshire, England, when he saw a crowd of people gathered outside a farmhouse. I mean, it was a good-sized crowd, too, and it was cold. It was November. It was an afternoon, and, I mean, the wind was blowing. It was freezing out, and he stopped, and he asked Farmer Ellis. He said, why such a large crowd of men gathered outside here? The farmer said, well, Joe's donkey kicked his mother-in-law, and she died. Well, she must have had a lot of friends. Nope, said Farmer Ellis. We all just want to buy his donkey. Told you it was kind of mean. That's a real kick in the pants right there. All right. Okay. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to begin in verse 13. We're going to read through verse 17. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13. <clears throat> tonight, as I told you this morning, I'm going to talk to you and share with you tonight a little bit different than maybe normal, but I want to talk to you a little bit about five ways we teach our children to be entitled. Five ways we teach our children to be entitled. And so I want to share that with you tonight. Psalm chapter 139, beginning verse 13, we'll read there. <clears throat> the passage begins by saying, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower, lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being in, unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Again, I think that we could focus our attention tonight just very briefly as a means to kick off things. Verse 14, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. <clears throat> entitlement. We start talking about entitlement. Well, that uh, word, it's become such a politically driven word, a divisive word even. And beyond that, the word entitled is used to describe an entire generation of people. They're commonly called Generation Y or Millennials. You hear terms like that all the time. I'm not a real big fan of those things. By the way, can I tell you that God does not see generation gaps? There's no generation gap. Okay, see, because the gospel is for everyone, and, and it's to be applied, and it's to be, you know, handled by everyone. And, and the truth is, if I can say this, <clears throat> I think it's a little bit ridiculous and, and you can go ahead and say whatever you want, think whatever you like. But I don't see anywhere in the world where you can have different cultures within Christianity. It's all Christian culture. Yes. I don't see it. I don't, I don't think that Africans can sing and dance one way and Americans sing and dance another. I think biblically and scripturally, it's very clear that the culture is a Christian culture. Therefore, the standards for young people and standard for adults are still the same in the Word of God. So there's not a generation gap. Well, you know young people, they just don't like to dress. You know young people, they just don't like to be moral. That's how stupid that sounds to me. <clears throat> it doesn't make any sense. 
So when we look at God's Word, we find out that we're all supposed to be aligning ourselves with His Word and His standard and His requirement and His law. We're to work according to His Word. But entitlement, that's a whole other issue, this idea of Generation Y or Millennials. And, and then, of course, they were a product of the Generation X, and they were a product of, of you know, th- that group that was, came along as well earlier. And these so-called Millennials are born in the 80s and the 90s. They were raised on technology, and they were, they were well-educated as a whole. They're self-expressive, and they're described as being narcissistic, self-absorbed. And, of course, entitled. Most millennials have been raised by parents who fed them a steady diet of praise. One writer put it this way. She said, these helicopter parents, you know, parents that hover over every aspect of their children's lives, and and, and they do this all in the name of self-esteem. They constantly told their kids they were special. That's how she described it. As a result, studies have shown that there's this constant need for affirmation in the lives of many of these young people. In fact, it's been reported that some large companies have corporate, quote, praise teams to fill the need for constant positive reinforcement in the lives of their employees. Can you imagine that? Now, our passage makes it very clear that each of us is extremely unique and each of us is very special in one sense. We are special in God's sight. Very special in God's sight. First of all, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, according to Psalm 1, chapter uh, chapter, uh, 139, verse 14. And that right there alone makes us very unique and very special, being fearfully and wonderfully made. But also, we are made in God's own image, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Not only that, we are each given a very unique set of gifts and talents, according to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So there's no doubt that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're in God's image and we're uniquely gifted for the purpose and cause that God's called us to and for. Now as parents, every single one of us as parents, we we want our, our children to feel unique. We want our children to feel special. And as we've already mentioned, in a biblical sense, they are. There's no doubt about that. But our children need to understand the difference between being special in God's sight and acting as if the world owes them something. There's a big difference there. Our children need to know they aren't entitled to a job, that they have to work hard to get one. They aren't entitled to a large home or six-figure salary. Uh, Well, those things are just simply earned. Even a loving family isn't something you're entitled to. It's a gift and it's a blessing. There's really only one guaranteed entitlement. And that's the love bestowed upon us by our Heavenly Father. That's that's as simple as it is. You know the verse in John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. You know what? There's over 7 billion people in the world. And each and every one of them is entitled to God's love. We are all entitled to that. It's guaranteed. We don't have to do anything to earn that. We don't have to work for it. 
It's not because we've done anything special that the love of God has bestowed upon us. In fact, we've done anything but something special. We are simply special in God's eyes. Still, we cannot confuse God's view with the reality we face each and every day. And that's something we have to be very careful about. Consider this thought. Since every one of us is special, then there really is nothing special about us. If we're all special, then there's nothing that makes us special. In his commencement speech to the Wellesley High graduates in 2012, English teacher David McCullough, he pointed out a harsh reality. Listen to what this English teacher said at this particular commencement. And I take a portion of his speech, not the whole. But he says, quote, the empirical evidence is everywhere. Numbers even an English teacher can't ignore. Newton, Natick, Nee. Am I allowed to say Nehem? Nehem? Yes, you got to understand. You got to see it. That that has to be uh, that that has to be two thousand high school graduates right there, give or take, and that's just the neighborhood. Across the country, no fewer than three point two million seniors are graduating about now from more than thirty seven thousand high schools. That's thirty seven thousand valedictorians, thirty seven thousand class presidents, ninety two thousand harmonizing altos, three hundred forty thousand swaggering jocks. 2,185,967 pairs of, of Uggs. But why limit ourselves to high school, he says. After all, you're leaving it. So think about this. Even if you're one in a million on a planet of, of at that point, 6.8 billion, that, seems, uh, that means there are nearly 7,000 people just like you. Imagine standing somewhere over there on Washington Street on Mar- uh, uh, Marathon Monday and watching 6,800 6, yours go running by. And consider for a moment the bigger picture, your planet. <clears throat> I remind you, it is not the center of its solar system. Your solar system is not the center of its galaxy. Your galaxy is not the center of the universe. In fact, astrophysicists Assure us the universe has no center, therefore you cannot be it. (laughs) But Dave, you cry, Walt Whitman tells me I'm my own version of perfection. Epictetus tells me I have the spark of Zeus, and I don't disagree. So that makes 6.8 billion examples of perfection, 6.8 billion sparks of Zeus. You see, if everyone is special, then no one is. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's good. Mr. McCullough's point uh, point wasn't to degrade anyone. That wasn't his idea. And he wasn't trying to put the kids down. But instead he was trying to point out that none of us is special because each of us is special. Now he doesn't understand exactly why we're special. He would say it was other reasons. But we know it's because God loves us. As a Bible believer, we understand that each of us, again, is special because God made us that way, fearfully and wonderfully made. But you know, again, we have to be very conscious of the fact that the world doesn't really owe us anything. The only thing that you and I are entitled to is what God's already given us, and we already said what that was, His love. 
entitlement. The fact of having a right to something. The belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Entitlement. How does a parent raise an entitled child? I mean, especially when you consider that no parent really intends to do that. At least I don't think they do. Entitlement has penetrated nearly every aspect of today's culture and society, which means then that Christian families are no longer immune from its influence. We too are affected by this. In fact, if you aren't proactive in this effort, it is almost a given you are going to raise an entitled child. I wonder if you could be accidentally raising an entitled child today. Not even realize you're doing it. I wonder. And I want to share five common parenting mistakes that can lead to entitlement. Now, I'm going to make a statement. And you can take it however you like. This this may be misunderstood by some. But it baffles me to watch families who struggle with life, family, and raising children, const- raising children, constantly affirming their effort, constantly affirming their methods, and constantly affirming their product. What I mean by that is, it baffles me to watch people that struggle continue to think that they are doing it right. It amazes me. They seem quick to let everyone know what to do and what not to do. They come across as being experts more than not. I want you to know that I am the pastor of Community Baptist Temple and I have, I'm the father of four grown children who appear, who appear to be pretty well adjusted. And yet, throughout my ministry and to this very day, I have been hesitant to share my views and philosophies because I always feel somebody else would be more qualified to give their advice. That's how I always feel. I struggle with that. Over the next few minutes, I want you to lay aside your pride and ditch the perfect parent syndrome. I want you to take away the rose-colored glasses that we often look through in order to cope with our dysfunction. I want you to be sincerely honest with yourself, and I want you to evaluate yourself from the vantage point of looking from the outside in. I am convinced that we are not being honest with ourselves in many areas of the Christian life and even in this area of the home. And I want to encourage you to stop thinking you have all the answers and stop believing that you know what you're doing because the product that we are putting out in our churches and in our world is not the product that we think we are raising. Let's be like sponges and honestly seek to receive and to to take in everything we can. I was talking to my wife about this the other day. And this was interesting to me, and I don't say this to lift her up, but it was amazing to me. She said, you know, I, she says, when we were younger, I grabbed every single parenting book I possibly could and read it. 
so that I could learn something I did not know. And I thought, wow. She comes from a solid, functional family. Her husband comes from a solid, functional family. A biblical family. I'm talking about a dad, mom, children. And yet she felt she needed to learn more. And she wasn't adequate. And it's funny because, honestly, I've never felt that way either. I'm amazed at young people who feel adequate. And they don't even have the examples that my wife and I had growing up. Or the years of experience that we've had in child raising. And I just want to encourage you to take off those glasses. And stop trying to pretend we're perfect parents. And let's say, can we learn something tonight? that might help us and our children or our grandchildren. So, thank you, preacher. That was a blessing. Let's move forward. So let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we come to you now and bless us in these next few minutes as we're going to touch on five areas or things that we can do at times as parents that could possibly be raising or instilling this idea of entitlement in our children. Help us, Lord, we pray. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, one of the ways we teach our children to be entitled is allowing our children to interrupt. Allowing our children to interrupt. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a conversation with a parent when one of their children runs up to them and interrupts them. They're talking one-on-one, and next thing you know, the child's there Mommy, mommy, daddy, 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 grabbing and pulling and tugging and whining in order to get the attention of their parent. Sadly, this technique works, and the parent, in blind obedience, redirects their attention to the child. Granted, in most cases, it's not like we're having, you know, this deep doctrinal conversation, or we're not necessarily solving the world's problems. I understand that. However, it's very visibly clear to me that they're uncomfortable and completely unsure of how to regain control of the situation. And I'm going to make a statement right now. If you think I'm standing up here acting like I know everything and you don't, you're a fool. You're out of your mind. But I promise you this. If you're allowing your children to do what I'm talking about, you are raising an entitled child. You are raising a child that will feel entitled. Please do not assume that because the preacher is finally going to tell you some things that will help you, that he's being a know-it-all. Trust me, I'm no know-it-all. I made my mistakes along the way. But thank God, I've seen how when we apply biblical truth, it can truly change and transform lives. Now... The innocent parent mistakes, makes these mistakes. And they don't realize that there are consequences for this. Kids who don't learn respect for other people's time, their conversations, or their physical space are being taught simply the world revolves around you. When we allow our child to come up and interrupt us in the midst of a conversation, especially with another adult, We are telling them that everything rises and falls on them. 
The world revolves around them. Well, that sounds like an attitude of entitlement to me. Now, it's important, you say, to give kids undivided attention, isn't it? Well, of course it is at appropriate times. You know, <clears throat> we don't want to raise, you know, we want to raise engaging children. We want children that can communicate, interact, but we don't want entitled children either. So I'm going to have a couple suggestions. First of all, let me ask you, does your child interrupt you? Do they interrupt you? And don't, don't make excuses for your child right now. We'll touch on that one in a minute. Don't make excuses now. Just be honest with yourself. Does my child interrupt me? So what can you do if they do? So what? If it happens, own it. And then let's ask ourselves, what can we do? Well, first of all, you need to teach your children that you're not to be interrupted when you're speaking to someone else. You say, well, that just seems inhumane. No, that's just good teaching. You need to let them know that they're not supposed to interrupt you. If you're talking with somebody, they're not permitted to come up and interrupt you. That's not how it works. You say, well, what if there's an emergency? Yeah, I mean, how many times has that happened in life? And furthermore, there is a way to handle it. Uh, my children, just like yours, uh, would from time to time make their way up to us. They were not permitted to grab, hold, pull, tug. They were not permitted to yell and say, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy. They weren't permitted to do that. They were not allowed to do those things. They stood there. And normally what I would do is I would just simply go like this. I'd put a finger down like, hold on one moment. Or I might put my hand like this. Or I might put my hand on their shoulder. So they knew I recognized them and understood they were standing there. But they were not permitted to interrupt. You say, what if it was an emergency? Well, if it was really an emergency, I don't think they'd have just walked up. I don't think they just came up. I think they'd have been screaming already. Usually when your child interrupts you at church, Community Baptist Temple, and you're talking to another adult, it's not because there's an emergency. Well, in their mind, it's an emergency because probably one of the other kids took the toy they were playing with and they want you to go get on them and take it back. I get kids doing that to me here. Preacher, so-and-so took my toy or so-and-so did this. And I say, <clears throat> don't care. See ya. <laughs> deal with it. Learn to deal with it. The last thing they need is me stepping in. They just need to go learn how to cope and how to deal with those issues. But we need to be very careful here. So come up with some kind of signal for your child. Talk to them. Tell them, you're not permitted to interrupt me while I'm talking to someone. If I'm on the phone, you cannot come up and just start yelling, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy. It doesn't work that way. You wait your turn. You stand silently and listen. And then make a gesture. Let them know that you know they're there. Let them understand that you're aware of their presence. And when you get a moment, you can then divert. Excuse me one moment, please. What can I do for you? It's not hard. And if you know it's not an emergency, you may make them wait a while just to teach them a little bit of discipline. On purpose. Doesn't kill our kids to wait on us. It's okay for them. Pretty soon you'll find they won't bother you all the time if they know you won't just jump when they say jump. You might find that life's even better. 
So number one, one way that we're raising entitled children or maybe doing that without even knowing it is we allow our children to interrupt. Number two, another way that we, we are raising entitled children may not even know it is not making them say please and thank you or not making please and thank you a big deal. Not making please and thank you a big deal. That's, that, that's not something that, that is good. That's a very negative thing. So, you know, if you look at it, even entitled people, people that, are, that you would label as entitled, they'll say please and thank you for the big things in life. But grateful people remember to say these words for the small things too. When our kids were young, Sherry and I, we, would, we wouldn't permit them to have anything. We wouldn't permit them to enjoy anything without them first saying please or thank you. Now, hold on before you say, that's what we do. Really take the glasses off and make sure that's the case. Be very careful. What our reality is sometimes is not what other people see. I, I, I promise you that. If you are a parent here today, you know what I would have probably done if I were you and I did these things? I'd say, hey, when, is there anything that you see me not doing that I should be doing? I'm talking about to a family who's raised children for the Lord. Or is there something that I could be doing that I'm not doing that, I should, that, that would be helpful to my children? Am I allowing something? Am I being, you know, you need to find somebody that you trust that raised children for the Lord and say, how do you think I'm doing? I mean it. I think that would be helpful to you. In most cases, let's just be frank, most men and women, most couples today are not coming out of homes where there was a father, a mother, and a biblical, a biblical model being exhibited. Very few are today. You need to understand that you need to seek the advice of a family that has a biblical model and has already done it isn't where you are, but is going, is already where you want to be. By the way, that's why the older women are supposed to be teaching the younger, mind you. And that's why the older men should be available to the younger men. Because God intended for that to be how it works. For those that have experienced it and succeeded in the grace of God to be able to pass down some of those things that will be helpful to them. Now, I still remember not allowing them to do any of those things. If mom served them, and she served them often, met a need in any way, she met numbers and scores of needs in their life, they were expected and required to say thank you. Always. If handed a cookie or given a toy, thank you was required. We would not give it unless they had even said please to begin with, and then thank you at the end. I would take it away and they'd never get it. You say, boy, that was rough. Can I tell you something, though? I'll be frank with you. I'm very glad that we taught our kids to say please and thank you because I don't believe, at least from my perspective, and there are times I wonder, they're not that exceedingly entitled. Maybe a little. But anyway, not much. See, to become grateful people is what the goal is, not entitled people. And your kids need to learn to appreciate daily things that you do for them. Daily things. Now, some suggestions. Well, 
First of all, the question, has your family gotten out of the habit of saying please and thank you? And I believe that leading by example is the key to everything. I, I, I think you're wasting your time telling your kids to say please and thank you if mom doesn't and dad doesn't say please and thank you. I, I think you're wasting your time. Oh, yeah, for a while they'll follow that, but then they'll, they'll learn to resent that. And when they go ahead and get to a certain age, they'll say, forget you. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You need to be following the advice you're giving your kids and the rules that you make for them, you need to follow. So lead by example. Over the next seven days, maybe, thank your spouse or possibly your child for something you might normally not even thank them for. You'd take for granted. Listen, Dad, why, when's the last time you said thank you for the meal you ate? Thank you for the drink your wife brought you. Thank you for, for uh, your child taking care of something that, that you asked them to do. When's the last time you think? Now, again, somebody says you shouldn't have to thank people for doing things that they're supposed to be doing anyway. Well, I'll tell you what, a little appreciation goes a long ways. I think many of you men would be thankful and happy and grateful if your wife would say, I just want to say to you, honey, thank you for going to work and providing for us. I think you'd be happy. But if we based it on the idea, well, you shouldn't have to say thank you for things you do, then you shouldn't get any of those ever either. But I think that's helpful. I think it's encouraging, and I think it's always positive. Also, make up your mind that you want grateful children and not entitled ones. You have to make up your mind that, to do that. Require them to say please and thank you in every place and every situation. You go to the... Um, I, there are children in our church that will come to my office and I'll have a little treat for them. And <clears throat> I never let a child have a treat. Never. If they don't say thank you. I start to hand it to them. They take it. And, and, and I'll say, what do, you have, what do you say? If they don't say it, I take it back. You say, that's mean. No, it's not mean at all. Usually I make them say please before I give it to them to begin with. Then I give it to them and make them say thank you. Because I taught my kids that way and they turned out okay. They seem pretty grateful to me. And if they're not, well, they got some learning to do still. But the fact is, is that it starts at the earliest age you can think. And you have to demand that. You have to require that of them. Require them to use their manners. See, we used to call those things manners. You, you, you know, have you ever you heard those terms? We, we call them manners. Um, you need to require those in your home. And you know what will be funny? You'll find this to be the case. If you'll require manners in the home, you'll never have to worry about your children not having them in public. You know, because sometimes, you know, it's funny how this works, isn't it? You know, um, you know, you teach, you know, if somebody gives you something, you make sure you say thank you. Well, that's true, and you ought to teach them that. But if they learn to say thank you to you and mom and to brothers and sisters that do things for them, I bet you they'll do it when other people do as well. And so I want to encourage you there. But we're raising entitled children. People that are ungrateful have an attitude of entitlement. Number three. How's another way that we're raising entitled children? Well, breaking the rules. Breaking the rules. This is probably the most common one in today's culture. Rules are viewed today as guidelines by most. 
They're not rules. They're guidelines. Sure, we want everyone else to follow them, but us, our kids, well, we'll be the judge of that. We'll determine whether it's really a rule that we need to follow or not. We'll determine that. Well, that's a problem. Today's mantra seems to be, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. The problem is, is adults are saying that. No wonder children are struggling with it. That's a difficult thing. If they don't see it lived in their lives, they're not going to want to live it, not going to be apt to do it themselves. Now, here's the problem. Allowing children to break the rules, whether it's a little or minor rule, like don't run at the swimming pool or don't dive head first, or whether it's breaking a curfew, any of those things teaches disrespect for authority. It leads to chaos in the home, chaos in the church, chaos in the school, chaos in society. That's what it leads to. See, the issue at stake is much bigger than simply running at the pool or staying out after curfew or whatever rule it might happen to be. It's much larger than that. See, the message that you and I send to our children when we allow them to make their own rules is simply this. Once again, the world revolves around you. It revolves around us. And that is a message of entitlement. Now, I can't tell you how often I've watched parents tell their children not to run in the foyer and not to get on the stage and some of the other things that go on around here. But in the end, if the child continues to rebel and disobey and break the rule without consequences, well, the child thinks to themselves, well, obviously that rule doesn't really apply to me. It may apply to everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me. I'm different. This leads to an inflated view of self, ultimately entitlement again. Sometimes we feel sorry for our children. You know, they can't do what all the other heathen children do. Isn't that sad when we think that? We think that we're really hurting them because they can't do the things that the children that are unsaved get to do. That's a pretty sad situation, isn't it? We really don't understand what we're really, we don't get it. We're saving them and we're, we're protecting them and we're helping them and they have the better life. But sometimes, if we're honest, we'll feel sorry for our children for whatever reason. And so, therefore, we let them or permit them to break the rules. We say things like, poor baby, go ahead and eat a snack before dinner. I mean, you get, really, you get home really late from grandma, so you don't make them brush their teeth before bed. The kids haven't seen me for a few days, so it's all right if they interrupt me in the middle of a conversation or activity. Feel sorry for your kids. So what do you do? You let them break the rules. At other times, we feel sorry for ourselves, and we allow our kids to break the rules. You say, what do you mean? Well, we permit our children to ride with their boyfriend or girlfriend to work, you know, in the same car, to work or to school or some other activity, because really, in reality, it's just a lot easier and more convenient if we don't have to take them. 
So although we don't really approve of them being alone in a car with the opposite sex, a boyfriend or girlfriend, we allow it because it's more convenient for us. That would never happen to any of us, right? Never. That's what we find. Now, the question is, do they know that you've created a rule for this? Because if you have, now you're saying to them, it's okay to break the rules, which teaches them an attitude of what? Entitlement. Doesn't apply to them. Because they're extenuating circumstances. Well, there's always going to be an extenuating circumstance. We allow them to get a phone or a job or a car before we originally told them they were permitted to get one simply because it's convenient for us. And we told them this is the rule, but then we allow them to break the rule because it's convenient for us. Well, again, we're contributing to this aspect of entitlement. Don't allow them to cut in line, walk on the grass, or cut through someone's yard without permission. Don't allow them to do that. You're out soul winning. Do not walk in someone's yard. Stay on the sidewalks. You, who are you? Who do you think you are? Do you understand what we breed in our children when we allow them to break the rules? I may want to punch some neighbor in the nose because my kids shot through their yard innocently and they flip out and call the police. It's happened to my family. Something stupid like that. But in the end, we said, you shouldn't have cut through their yard. You know better than that. It's wrong. And although the police were called, you're lucky you weren't hauled off to jail. Do you get where I'm going with this? Someone says, well, that's ridiculous. I would have words with that. Well, if you want to have words with them, that's fine. But don't ever let your children know you did because what they did was wrong. Don't tell them it's okay to do wrong. That's raising a child that will be entitled. See, the problem isn't as much what we're doing, but rather what we're teaching. And so you need to be careful and realize you're establishing a mindset and an attitude of entitlement when you allow these things to happen. And like I said, it's so important that we set the example. If we're breaking the rules ourselves, you know, going over the speed limit, and our children know it, you know, not paying our taxes, and they know it because we talk about it. Or if we're not being morally, exhibiting moral integrity, watching things and doing things we shouldn't, although we know the rules are, then once again... We're saying to them, we're above the rules, we're special, it doesn't apply to us, we're entitled. And they learn to be entitled as well. So we need to be careful with that. You say, does this mean parents have to be tyrants? Well, no, not at all. But you do, and I do, have to lovingly and consistently teach our children to follow the rules question, have you allowed your children to bend the rules? Well, then try this. The next time you're faced with any rule, whether it's big or small, anything like keep off the grass or no dogs allowed or maybe, you know, that infamous employee-only sign, 
for the elevators at the hospital and the other ones are really slow and you're tempted to take that set because that's what the employees take and nobody will know the difference. Maybe you ought to just wait your turn and say, children, why can't we take those, Daddy? Because we're not allowed to take those. Those are for the employees only. They have a rule. And son, you have to follow the rules. Use it as a teaching moment. And someone says, well, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Okay, but here's the thing. If it is once in every great while, like once every year, probably no big deal. The problem is it seems like that begins to take place on a regular basis. It becomes part of a mindset and a lifestyle. And then it begins to affect the future of our children negatively. Number four, and we have to move quickly. Another, so, so let me just recap very quickly. We, we've talked about this. Five ways we teach our children to be entitled. We said one, allowing our children to interrupt, not making please and thank you a big deal and breaking the rules. Number four, being too quick to step in. Too quick to step in. Every one of us knows that mom or dad. You know, the one who pitches a fit if their child isn't the, you know, the first person picked or doesn't make first string or doesn't get the A or, you know, doesn't get the part or, or doesn't receive the recognition. We all know that parent, don't we? Just, just can't take it. They just lose it. Every one of us wants our children to succeed. That's a, that's a given. Every one of us does. But the goal really is to help our children learn how to succeed based upon their own merit. That's the real goal. Not just to see them succeed. Not just to see them get the trophy. The real goal is to help them to learn how to succeed on their own. When a child receives recognition based upon parental intervention rather than their own initiative, entitlement is the result. Let me ask you, have you been too quick to step in? Do you find yourself trying to constantly cushion them from that blow of rejection, the blow of failure or reality itself? Are you you quick to jump in there? Listen, every parent is tempted to always step in and, and, and do that. I mean, it's just us. We don't want to see our children suffer. We don't want to see our children strive. We don't want to see our children hurt. We don't want to see our children sweat half the time. And if we're not careful, we can critically harm them. If your child gets a D in class, talk to the teacher privately, but don't make excuses for them in order to protect their self-esteem. Let them own the D and tell them, that don't fly. You obviously aren't working hard enough. How's come it's always the teacher's fault today? And what we end up doing is we end up raising a child that feels entitled to an A, a B, instead of the D that they really earned. If your child is not permitted to play because they miss practice for whatever reason, then you need to be thankful that he or she plays for a coach who sticks to the rules. Don't be guilty of showing false praise on your, you know, of of showering false praise on your children either. Be careful with that one. Now listen, we're, we're kind of guilty of that. Your child plays the piano and messes it all up. Tell them, man, that was a great effort, but you're going to have to practice a little more. 
Don't tell them how great a job they did playing the piano when they know they didn't do a great job. You're showering them with false praise. You can maybe even take away the initiative to work harder. And may I say that sometimes failure is much more, the, failure produces much more success than success does. You may not believe that, but it is so true. You look at any man or woman that succeeded in life or in the ministry, they have had a number of failures in their life. They've had ups and downs. They fought through difficulties and struggles and trials. They didn't feel they were owed anything. They worked like crazy. Try this. Give your child the gift of working hard to achieve a goal. Resist the temptation to intervene unless it's absolutely essential. The idea is you have to be okay with a little failure along the way. You have to let them fail. and You have to let them fall. Again, failure isn't fatal if it helps a child to learn character. Let's let our children succeed on their own a little bit. If we don't do that, they'll believe somehow that everybody deserves a trophy. And that is called entitlement. No, only the winner gets the trophy. And it takes a lot of hard work to be on top. Now listen, I... I'm not opposed to encouraging. You have to encourage your children. I understand all that. I, I don't see any self-esteem falling to pieces around me here. We need to be careful that we're not filling them with false praise. We need to be careful that we're not cushioning them from the reality of failure even. Don't be too quick to step in. Or we will likely, without even realizing it, be raising children who have a sense of entitlement. Finally, number five and last, following the crowd. Following the crowd. Man, these days, it is not uncommon for middle school kids to have these huge parties and reserve these stretch limos and have all these huge events planned and prepared by their parents. Preschool children have birthday parties as elaborate as weddings these days, it seems. You've got to ask yourself, is this all, this excess even healthy? I mean, doesn't that ever come to your mind? Is this necessary? Is it really healthy? I mean, who started this trend anyway? And, and why, did, why did we as a society follow it? Why is it happening? Listen, there's a fine line between making our kids feel special and making our kids feel spoiled. It's a fine line. I was teasing the guys up front here. I told them, well, your world's going to all fall apart tonight, fellas. The gravy train ends tonight. Especially you, Ike. But But again, it's fine to make your kids feel special in that regard, but be careful that we're not spoiling them. You know, if every event is special, then pretty soon no event is special. 
I was just telling somebody the other day, if I permitted the staff to go home early every week for a number of weeks, say on a certain day, it won't be long before the day that they can't go home early, they're a little ticked off at me and like, I can't believe it. Can't even leave today. You know what that is? Entitlement. That's a sense of entitlement. They get to the point where they think they deserve it, where they, they should, it should be theirs, even though it's not. And that happens to our own children sometimes. We do that same thing. Now, make sure that give them special things. Do special things, but be careful that everything doesn't become special. We spend so much energy, time, and money trying to top that last party, the last gift we gave them, or maybe the last event. But let's face it, that's simply a recipe for insanity for parents. And it is an entitlement maker for kids. If you have blindly followed the crowd, if you have found yourself trying to keep up with the Joneses, in a sense then maybe, if you're not careful, you unwittingly are instilling a sense of entitlement in your child. So try this. Before you just go out and buy the latest gadget or allow your children to participate in some activity or buy the most expensive pair of shoes and try to help them fit in with all the rest of the kids, Look beyond this particular moment, this particular time. And ask yourself, is this in the best interest of my child in five years from now? Where does it take them? Where does it lead them? How does it affect their outlook? What a sad thing it is, isn't it? And I hope you've never had this happen to you. Wouldn't it be horrible for a child to come to you and say, you go to buy them a pair of shoes and they go, I don't want these stupid shoes. They're not, that's not the shoes I want. Wouldn't that be horrible? You know what that is? That's a sense of entitlement coming out. Wouldn't that be pitiful? I'd break my heart if my kids would have done that to me. And then I'd have broke them. Because that would never fly with me. They'd be lucky if they weren't wearing that shoe. Upside this. Resist the urge to give too much too soon. Instead, give your child the opportunity to look forward to things as they mature. Then special things really will be special in their life. have too many big parties for your children and pretty soon the big party's no longer special. And you either have to continue to top it or you become the bad guy because they feel they deserve it and you owe it to them. You know what that is? Entitlement. We live in an age of entitlement. But you know, our families don't have to become victims to this. We don't have to. We are fearfully and wonderfully made without a doubt. We, we, we are entitled to the love of God. We have no doubt of that. We understand that. But we are not, the world does not owe us anything. God gives us this. And we are all special in God's eyes. 
But in that regard, none of us then are really special. We're all just the same. And what differentiates and changes or makes the difference is when we put forth effort and when we we allow ourselves to be vessels used of God and and things begin to happen. You can go and say whatever you want, but you can line every boy up in this church from the ages of first through sixth grade and I promise you there's one of them that's fastest. And I don't care how much you tell your child you're just as special and you're just as, as athletic and you're just as wonderful as he is. Down deep in his heart, that boy says, but I can't run as fast as him. Why do, are we so afraid for our children to fail? And that, that's not failure. That's if you want to be faster than him, you're going to have to work twice as hard. Or maybe that's just not your area. Maybe you're just not going to ever be fast, son. Maybe you ought to focus on another area. What's wrong with that? It's not putting them down. It's not making them feel bad. You don't have to give them a trophy and say, see, you completed the race. We don't have to raise children like this. We can raise children that are grateful and thankful for what they're given, what they have. And I want to encourage you to be very careful. We have some, of the, some wonderful, wonderful young people here. Man, I'll tell you, it's, they went away on their trip. And they went down there along with some of our singles and, and adults, and they ran down there to, to uh, El Paso, Texas. They went on into Mexico and served there as well. Boy, the reports we got back on our young people were astounding. They have some of the best young people. This is one of the best groups that's come through here. You want to know why? Because that group was willing to step in and do whatever it took. They didn't feel someone else had to serve them and do for them. At least on that trip... Those young people were giving it their all and they were willing to be the servant and not be served. As parents, that ought to be the way they are every day in our homes. We should not ever allow a feeling or an attitude of entitlement to prevail in our home. And it begins with us as parents, grandparents, and leaders. Let's make sure we're not exhibiting that attitude. And let's make sure that we don't expect things to be handed to us or deserve anything. Instead, let's be willing to pay the price and obey the rules and to do what's necessary and needful. May God help us not to raise entitled children. And i got to believe tonight, if you have a child that's like that, you know it already, if you're honest with yourself. Let's stop making excuses and instead, let's start changing it. You don't have to be a hostage in your home. You can have victory. And your child can have a wonderful time growing up in a structured home that has rules and expectations that are scriptural and biblical. They don't have to be entitled to be happy. I promise you that. The most happiest people are people who are not entitled and who are thankful for everything they have. God help us. You say, you didn't use much scripture today. I told you it's going to be different. I'm trying to help you today. I'm trying to help you. If you wanted more scripture, you should have been here this morning. You had a little more then. But tonight, let me tell you, there's not probably anything 
right now that's going to help you any more than what you heard. And I want to encourage you to apply some of these truths. And if you need the notes, I'll give them to you. But I would encourage you to really think about this. Take off those glasses and talk to your wife, your husband. Talk to your, your parents even. Talk to friends that are around your children at times and say, hey, do you see any of these characteristics in my child? And then say, I want you to give it to me straight. I don't want you to, don't, don't hold back. Let me have it with both barrels. Because I want to know and see it for what it is. And, and they may or may not be spot on, but I can promise you this. You'll be glad you got their insight or from what they saw. I've got great kids, preacher. I wonder if the waitress at the restaurant thought that. I got great kids. They're always obeying. I wonder if Sunday school teacher thinks that. I got great kids. They're the best. I wonder if grandma and grandpa think that, if you'd really honest with them and say, tell me the honest truth. I'm just saying, maybe it's time we have a gut check, as they used to say in football, a reality check. Because if we don't change some things, then nothing will ever change. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for...